Thank you. Good morning, everybody. North River Church of Christ. Uh, my name is Douglas Jacoby. I've been asked to do the message today. And this is actually the last message in a series that we began at the start of the year, a series on Exodus reaching from January to July. Um, as is my custom, before we get into the text, which will be from Exodus chapter 40, um, just a little bit about developments in the ministry, the International Bible Teaching Ministry. So I, can I just share with a, few, a few minutes with you about that, and then we'll get right into uh, the book of Exodus. Uh, although I, I do a lot of reading and writing year-round, this summer seems to be an especially heavy time of writing, particularly working on curricula. I've been uh, working on a project actually for Eastern China. Uh, it's a five-year through the entire Bible at depth kind of project, which people are very eager to do. Maybe the idea will catch and spread on. Really fun. Um, I, I'm uh, teaching also in, in a course through Denver, uh, our brothers and sisters at the Rocky Mount School of, of Ministry Theology, and also at Lincoln Christian University. I teach MA. That started just a few days ago. Well, that's going great. Um, Lincoln is in Illinois. I've still never been there in these last seven years. I've been an adjunct professor, but oh well, I will visit one day. I'm still pretty well connected. And then um, what I'll be working on this week uh, is I'll be heading to the Caribbean in just a few days. And in Jamaica, uh, which is where we're kind of based for the northwest part of the Caribbean, and in Trinidad for the southeast part, we'll be teaching church history. So this is, uh, normally it's biblical training, but actually learning church history uh, is quite humbling. Uh, we see patterns, we see ourselves, and I think it helps us to be better interpreters of Scripture. So I'll be teaching there with my colleagues, Tyrone Marcus of Trinidad, Courtney Bailey uh, in <clears throat> Kingston, and they're both full-time lawyers. They're very busy men, but they run the program. Uh, we work together with uh, another fellow who'll be joining me. Now, he's in Costa Rica right now, uh, Jeff Hickman in the center there. He'll be coming down. We'll be co-teaching the church history in uh, Trinidad. I'm also um, working on uh, an MTA AIM, uh, how to interpret the Bible program for West Africa. A number of West African churches will be coming together, coming right to Lagos, Nigeria. And after that, I'll be going with one of the three teachers there. His name is Gilbert Kimeng. Uh, we'll be flying down to the Congo, both Congos actually, and doing a bit more work. But we're focusing on Nigeria. Nigeria would be up there if you see the green dot. You can see Cameroon, and then the little Congo is here, and here's the big Congo. That's what I mean by both Congos. Now, I, I'm not the only one who loves Africa and who goes there somewhat frequently, and I'm quite aware of that. Many of you have, and the others, I would consider you future visitors to Africa, and it is a blast, and uh, you're missing out if you're not coming. Uh, the last thing I'm working on right now is finishing off two books, one little book on the problem of human suffering, and then also a big book, which is 99% done on Genesis. So that's kind of what the teaching ministry has been doing um, this summer. Now, we get to the book of Exodus, and I've given it a simple title, Filling and Following. You can retitle the message if you want to. I think that may be more memorable when we see the actual passage. So I said this is the last message in a series. What's happened before? Well... Uh, just a quick overview, 70 men and their families, they, they go into Egypt, they multiply, uh, they multiply to the point that they become a threat, uh, it creates some political instability, and so they're oppressed and eventually enslaved. The Lord delivers them uh, through a series of pressure moves, plagues uh, on Pharaoh, on his government, 
they're led out through the sea. And to memorialize this time, they're given the Passover. God sustains them in the desert with drink and food. He organizes them. He gives them a mission. That mission actually comes before the law. And I still think that's an interesting uh, juxtaposition because we would think, well, give them the, uh, you'd, you'd give them the law and you'd give them the, the mission and then maybe we'll let them be saved. But actually the deliverance comes way back here. He gives them the mission and the law. And we talked about this last week to some extent uh, illustrating with various cases. So you have the Ten Commandments, and then in chapter 21 to 24, what does it look like when the Ten Commandments are being obeyed? And it doesn't cover every possibility, but it's a great example of case law. Uh, Although Jeff hit Exodus 32, the golden calf last week, which is the middle of the final section, 25 to 40, we didn't really talk about that very much, and it would have been, um, it would have taken a lot of time, and it's, it's heavy with detail. In 25 to 40, we learn about the priesthood and the tabernacle. So God is getting things ready. Uh, My favorite quote, uh, this is from Jeff last week. I told him I was just going to reproduce it. Why not? Um, They had, the Israelites had a God they could not control. The holy cow, the calf, gave no law, demanded no obedience. It had no wrath or justice or holiness to be feared. It was deaf, dumb, impotent. This was a religion designed by men, practiced by men, and ultimately useless for men. And we believe that's what happens when we turn away from the true faith of God. When we wander away from the Bible, we end up in something that may be jazzy or classy or respectable, but ultimately it's impotent. It's powerless uh, to meet the needs of the world and to please God. So that's just a quick overview. Now, at the end, the, the, the last 16 chapters of Exodus are really all about preparing for God to dwell among his people in a more intense way. So what happens in 25 to 40? It's a lot of rules. And I usually encourage people, well, once in your life, you've got to read through all of Exodus. But I usually encourage people, as long as you've done that, do some skimming in 25 to 40. Because 25 to 40 says, okay, here's the altar you need to set up, and here's the anointing oil, and here's, you put this on the priest's big toe, and here's the, uh, the garment he wears. It's, it's incredible amount of detail. And then the second part of that section is almost an exact uh, rehearsal, a recitation. Uh, and, you know, Moses did this, and he did this, and he did that. A lot of detail. And finally, because he obeys, God's presence, the cloud, the glory, comes to the tabernacle. And let's talk about that just for a second. So you have the high priest with those 12 beautiful gems representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And notice it's right in the center where that portable temple, the pre-temple, the tabernacle, is located. And that tabernacle, you can see the pillar of uh, cloud, which we'll talk about in just a moment. But God's presence is right in the middle of his people. The purpose of the priest, now in in New Testament Christianity, you will search in vain for any priest except for a Jewish priest or maybe a pagan priest. But there's no priesthood in Christianity because we're all supposed to be doing that. But in the Old Testament, the priest brings the people to God and he brings God to the people and he offers sacrifices. And the tabernacle is not a structure that can contain God because as Solomon said when this was replaced with a temple, the highest, highest heavens can't contain you. I mean, that's crazy to think you put God in a little box. Uh, but still, 
God chose to reveal himself to dwell, and I put that in scare quotes, he chose to dwell among his people in that way. So he appeared um, in this way as a cloud. So really, Exodus is all about presence. God goes with the people in Egypt, even when they're few in number. He's with them even when things are tough. And he's going to be with them as well, dwelling in their center through the priesthood and locally, spatially at that tabernacle. If that makes sense to you, then that's, that's the background. That's Exodus. That's the overview. It's all about God's presence. It's not about rules and laws. It's about presence. His presence in the Bible begins in Eden, which is a kind of temple. And even after the tabernacle Moses built, you have the non-portable temple. Well, the Babylonians destroyed it and uh, made it somewhat portable, I guess you could say. Uh, You have the temple there. Jesus speaks of his own body as a tabernacle. Jesus' body he refers to as a temple. In fact, it's the same work used in the Greek Old Testament as in the Greek New Testament. So Jesus' body, he's somehow replacing the temple of stone. You could say the church building, we may still have them, but uh, that's, that's purely optional. The true temple, the true church is Jesus' body. In the New Testament, we also read that our bodies are temples of God's spirit, 1 Corinthians 6. That's why we try to eat right. That's why we, we try to make wise, healthy choices. Um, we try to honor God with our bodies sexually. The church is also called a temple, 1 Corinthians 3 and other places. And last, we have the vision and revelation of the new Jerusalem. And there, there's no dark, there's no night, no sorrow, no death, no decay. But every, the city is filled with light because the city is filled with God and God is the light. Okay, does this make sense? The theme of God's presence you can trace from Genesis to Revelation. God seeking to dwell with his people. He's not trying to get something from you and me. We're not going to be passing the plate and taking up collections in heaven, okay? Uh, God needs nothing from us. As it says in Psalm 50, the the cattle of a thousand hills are his. He needs nothing from us. The grace purely goes the other way. If you want more on those chapters 25 to 39, you can find it quite easily in the book area. This brings us to chapter 40, and now let's officially uh, begin. We're going to begin at verse 34, but for now, I'd like you to either look up or look down, depending uh, where you feel comfortable with the text, and just notice that at the ch- in chapter 40, the Lord, it's kind of a summary here, he tells him to set up the tabernacle. Notice I put in some, some dots, okay, so it all fit on the page. Place the Ark of the Covenant there, shield it with the cherubim, bring in the table, the lampstand, the lamps, the gold altar of incense, other altars and other things. So you get the physical setup. Bring Aaron and his sons, because Aaron was the high priest, and at this point he has four sons, soon to become two, because they they despised the priesthood. They took it lightly, but you can read about that in Leviticus. Uh, Bring his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them, dress Aaron, and so forth. And then they take the tablets of the covenant law, that is, the Ten Commandments, and they're placed in the ark, And at the very end, Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle, an altar, put up the curtain at the entrance of the court. See what I mean? There's a lot of detail here. So Moses finished the work. Now that's significant. And what is being emphasized here as throughout Exodus is that every instruction God gave to Moses, he obeyed. 
And you may say, yeah, but we don't have to follow these, these particular laws. Well, firstly, you do need, do need to obey God's laws, even those that have been superseded like this, we still learn from. Uh, it's, it's the attitude we need to have. But also, all of these elements of the Old Testament point to Jesus Christ. And if we'll just take a little more time, we'll, we'll see that. So this is important. Moses finished the work. He's God's man. He built, he's a builder of God's house, uh, we read in, in the book of Hebrews. And now, this is our actual text, the last five verses of Exodus 40, trying to set it in a frame, a context. So after Moses had done all this, the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night and the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels, the end. The next verse is Leviticus 1.1, God's book to try to get uh, holiness into the people, as has often been said, to get Egypt out of the people. So this is our passage. Now the cloud covers the tent of meeting. This was, it was such a thick choking cloud, no one could work there. It kind of reminded me of some things I did uh, when I was a kid, and by the way, so at night, the cloud looks something like this. This is obviously an artist uh, construction, but that's, that, that's, that's helpful to me. It's the same cloud. And there are, that cloud is both what leads them as well as the location of God's presence. When I was uh, more foolish than I am now, and shortly before I became a Christian, those years right before, uh, my mother was a real estate agent for some time, and someone was moving and needed to get rid of a chemistry set, which the kid had in the basement. And I said, I'll take it. And it was cool. I went through a phase where I, I, I made things. I learned how to make gunpowder. Um, I would order glass and things from chemistry, chemical supply uh, places, you know, people who supply laboratories. These days, this would be a red flag, I'm sure. People be <laughs> knocking down my door and taking me to Cuba or something. I don't know. But... Um, I, I just realized, wow, you can get some really interesting things if you mix things together. Like, I wonder if you put ammonia with bleach, what will happen? And what I found is it, it makes it a, kind of an ammonia cloud. Well, actually, there's chlorine gas, there's, a element, there's something called chloramine, but it's the same, uh, it's like the clouds on Jupiter, you know, where it rains ammonia. And by the way, that's not a kind of a rain that I want to be out in. I'll take Georgia weather over that any day. But the whole basement, I would do this, and then I would run upstairs because I knew the reaction, uh, and then I, I would walk down as a cloud was settled. But it, the whole basement was filled with this presence, and there'd be little crystals all over the concrete. And I would breathe. I liked the smell of it, but it was combining two poisons to make a third poison. <laughs> not so good. Or it reminded me on Thursday, I, my next morning, I took my next door neighbor out on the Chattahoochee, it was really foggy, and you know the, the crew teams are practicing out there. You don't want to get hit by those, uh, by those craft, but we could hear them before we could see them. Well, this is what it reminds me of, except this is a, a great thing. This is the presence of God. Now, it fills the tabernacle. 
Just as uh, in uh, 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles, it will fill the temple. Now, I think we're supposed to do something with that. God's presence filling. What does that remind you of? If you're a Christian, probably of the Holy Spirit, either among us, if we're God's people, or within us, if you're God's man, God's woman. What is it that actually fills us? Because what fills us determines our behavior, dictates our attitude. It makes it easy for others to describe us. What is it that fills us? And these can be good things or bad things. It could be excitement. It could be um, sorrow. Anything could fill us. But we don't want to be filled and controlled by sin. Uh, some people are filled with envy. Uh, they, they so badly want what their neighbors have, and they're not getting it, and they feel like they're failing. And they're really looking at the wrong thing. Some, some are filled and controlled by lust, lust for things, which 1 John speaks of, materialism, 1 John 2, 15 to 17. Uh, it could be lust for people in a sexual sense. And that word appears in the New Testament quite a few places too. And in nearly all of Paul's letters, it's addressed. It could be filled with pride. It could be filled with anger. But we want to be filled with, we want to be filled with, with God. We want to be filled with Christ, with, with humility and gentleness. And we want to be filled with his word. Because if his word dwells in us richly, we won't get confused so much. We'll make better decisions. We'll know the word. We're more confident. And then we can follow that pillar of fire as we should. So there's the filling, then there's the following. Now you may have noticed it said that when the cloud stayed there, then Israel stayed there. If it lifted and moved, that is their breaking camp, then the people of God moved together. But you don't move unless the pillar of fire, pillar of cloud, goes with you. And you don't go and hope it'll follow you, We're supposed to wait for the cloud. We go when it goes, and when it stays, we stay. I think for all kinds of applications of this, you could could think about this. Because obeying God doesn't necessarily always mean doing something. Sometimes it means not doing something. It means saying no to that invitation. It means forfeiting your deposit once you realize what you've committed to. It means distancing yourself from someone who's influencing you more than you're influencing her. There is... uh, probably a whole list of reasons you could find for, uh, for not moving, for not doing something, just as there are reasons to do something, to go somewhere. So we don't want to run off after strange teaching, um, which we read about in the letters of the New Testament. We don't want to, to run off with, with the strange people, but you know, again, those who affect us in a negative way. We don't want to give up on the teaching that we've received. We don't want to We want to stay there and stay with God's people. But it doesn't just mean bump on a log, pew warmer, I'm a member of the church. So it's both of these things, knowing when to be active, uh, when to be, I shouldn't say inactive, but let's say waiting and ready. Uh, Sometimes when it comes to guidance, uh, I do the stupidest things, and maybe even some of you do. And so, so much of it has to do with GPS. You may have seen this one. A guy's following his GPS in Manhattan, he follows it. You, you know, you don't follow this blindly. He goes down. He, he, he's fine until he gets to the park, and then he thinks it's a street, and he turns left, and he, his, his car is stuck at the top of a staircase. 
Did you see that or no? Uh, I read about a woman in Canada who, uh, she wasn't very familiar with part of the province she was driving in, and she drove right down a boat ramp and right into the lake. Now, uh, cold, very cold water. She got out. She survived, but her red, little red car didn't. Went all the way down. Uh, this may be one of the most famous. Um, it was a, I, I'm not going to say elderly, because 67, uh, too many of you would reject that, you'd say. Switch the digits. Okay. Let's say she was a mature driver in Belgium. Now, Belgium's that little country near uh, uh, the Netherlands and Luxembourg and France. And she was just simply going into Brussels, the capital. It's not that far away. It's f less than 40 miles. But she got on the GPS and just kept following it, um, 901 miles, until she got to Zagreb, uh, until she got to Croatia. The team that England are playing next in the World Cup. Right, beautiful place. It's where Nikola Tesla lived, which makes it extra cool. But it wasn't very cool that she just blindly followed these directions, and she ends up 900 miles away on the other side of Europe. Now, you can laugh. We can make fun. We can say, I hope I don't, if I ever get to that point, just shoot me. Okay, please. I, I, crazy. But the truth is, we follow all kinds of things, particularly when we're not Christians or we're not living like Christians. We follow uh, signals, advice, uh, pressure, trends. We, we end up in some really scary places, stuck on staircases, underwater, on the wrong side of where we should be. And I like the sign here, stop, your GPS is wrong, road closed. We need to follow the fire. We need to follow that cloud, not follow our own sense of, you know, my own splendid greatness. I just know what to do because I go with the flow or, I, you know, I've got a relation with Jesus. That's not biblical at all. Following the cloud, how can you do that? How can we follow the presence of God when it's time to go? Well, first, spend generous amounts of time in the Word. Not this chintzy, okay, I better pick it up now and do it quickly because my, my spouse will see me doing it now. Oh, I want my kids to see. Where's the Bible? Oh, it's underneath all those magazines. Okay, pull out your Bible and pretend to be reading. That's not generous. I mean, who do you think you're kidding anyway? I mean, generous amounts, we're talking about hours and hours a week in the Word. Now, if you can't do that, I'd like to know why. But if you're going to tell me, because I have to spend hours and hours a week in something else, I'd like to know what that something else is. Because I've got a pretty good idea. It's optional. Generous amounts of time. And I think watching movies on Netflix is optional. How about you? No, I just have to do that. It's like breathing oxygen and water. You know, you need that for life. Well, you don't really. Generous amounts of time in the Word. And that... That, that sets our GPS in the right way. We internalize, and as Colossians 3.16 has it, the word is dwelling in us richly. Follow God's people. If God's people are going that way, and you're going that way, if they're all here and you didn't show up because you're over there, if you're being given some pretty good advice, but you say, nah, I, I talk to the seven discreet people, I trust my own opinion much more, you can do that, but it's not smart. And Following God's people, letting others mentor you is very, very wise. To think biblically about issues, biblically about decisions we have to make, about life, frankly, about life and death and sickness, to think biblically about immigration, to think biblically about war, to think biblically about 
medical ethics, bioethics, cloning. You can, we can make a long list, but to think biblically, you have to actually know the Bible. It's not enough to say, well, yeah, I read that part and I had a friend and I went to a website. That, that doesn't cut it because that's not spending the generous amounts of time in God's word. But following the cloud, that's what they're supposed to do. They were expected to do it in Old Testament times and we're expected to do it in New Testament times. We don't follow it solo. We break camp and we move together. There's that solidarity. We don't go off in a different direction. We try to follow the Spirit of God. And it doesn't just happen. This has to be intentional, just as the filling. God didn't fill up the tabernacle uh, just because just because they wanted him to be with them. And God certainly didn't build the tabernacle himself. There was a lot of work that went in first. You know, God didn't say, I want to dwell among you. Forget the tabernacle, the priesthood. You don't have to do anything. Just let's circle up and and bow our heads and pray. And wow, it's marvelous, a tabernacle and a fire. That's not how God did it. Obedience is just as key in the Old Testament as you know it is in the New Testament. So the challenge is actually quite simple. First, to allow God to fill us, to fill us with his presence, with purity, with righteousness, with the spirit of Christ. And secondly, to follow. And that's what we see in Exodus 40. Are we prepared to follow? Now, if you're not a Christian yet, if you're not seriously examined and reorientated your whole mind and heart around the scripture, I want to encourage you to do that. And you're going to learn about the centrality of faith. You're going to learn that repentance is not what many people say it is. It's not what they taught in the Middle Ages. Confession, absolution, satisfaction. No, repentance is a life decision. You're going to learn about baptism, which until a few hundred years ago, every church taught was the way to become a Christian. But uh, since Protestantism, (laughs) it's been watered down and lost. But you can find all that. You don't need me to show you. You get into God's word. Let God be on your side. Go with the scriptures. Be prepared for him to fill you and then to follow. And if you're here today, this morning, at this first service, and you think, yeah, maybe I need this message too. You're right. Probably most of us need this message a lot. To be filled by God and to follow him, that's what it's all about. Think about these things as we talk about the communion. You see, in the Old Testament, there was a meal, a memorial meal called Passover. Passover was just once a year. It was an annual event. In the New Testament, we have also a memorial meal. Just as Exodus, one of the most important books of the entire Old Testament, contains the people's deliverance, their redemption, and God wants them to remember that through Passover. So the New Testament has Jesus's death and resurrection, his ascension, the birth of the church, his people, and there's a memorial meal, which you read about in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and 1 Corinthians, and that's a weekly event. And we can see a lot of points of connection, and perhaps these are things to think about if you're praying during the communion, how God's delivered us, how he sustains us, how he takes uh, measures so that we can see him, that he lives among us, that we are in his presence and his presence is in us. Let's think about these healthy thoughts as we pray for the bread and the wine.
Lord, we're grateful to be your people, but we frankly confess we don't sometimes act like your people. We're not filled with the right things and we're not following you. Lord, we know you delight in bringing back the stray, restoring those who are caught in sin or those who have wandered away. Whether we're here or whether we've been away, we all need restoration of the soul. Lord, we pray for your presence to dwell in us richly. We know that we're forgetful as people. We forget all kinds of things. And we know that a weekly reminder and a, a custom, a tradition, the bread and the wine, that makes it a lot easier for us to stay on track. And so we thank you for giving that to us and helping us to realize that Christ is truly present. As we take the bread and the wine, just a little token of, of that last supper that the Lord had with his disciples. Help us to meditate on such things. And we pray uh, with gratitude in, in Jesus' name. Amen.